Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Well, I get it, it's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to another episode of Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am your host for the day, Ryan Siebold, and with me, as always, is a man who recently started a retirement home for old aging WWE wrestlers, Mr. Jason Peters. What's up, Ryan? There he is. Oh, man, he's getting into character. <laughs> always, man, always. You know, I like to bring the heat to, well, the podcast, but also to the uh, ring, if we're going to keep this little metaphor going. The cream rises to the top, baby. <laughs> the cream rises to the top. I appreciate you. Yeah. I know that yeah. reference. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> the cream rises, rises to the top. To the top. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> gotta love it gotta yeah. love it that's a classic absolutely but yeah man it, look you know community centers retirement homes these are all look i hate to be coldly cynical coldly business-minded right but but uh, i i am here to be you today. stone cold jason be stone cold <laughs> but i am here to you today as a businessman and so i'll be playing that role and so yes we had we had looked at retirement homes and we decided first of all that uh, there's a, a lot of space here to make some serious money and we decided two things one we didn't want to be evil we know there's a lot of evil retirement homes out there. We are not one of them, so you can feel safe leaving grandma or grandma here with us, especially if they like to get down and dirty with some wrestling because we decided, hey, look, one of the main killers of old age, et cetera, is a sedentary lifestyle, right? Like we hear it all the yes. time these days from all of these health gurus, especially as you get older, the importance of staying active, right? Of both mind, body, and hopefully spirit as well. Correct. And so we thought, well, look, what better way to engage the right brain creativity with the left brain, you know, sort of public speaking skills, et cetera, and then on top of all of that, throw in physical activity, you know, hitting sure. the trifecta that these people need and was just sitting there ideating. And it was like, boom, wrestling, of course, right? Wrestling. You've yes. got, you know, we've got these built in storylines that, that and so we've actually got some writers, right? So there are unfortunately some of the people who maybe they've had certain illnesses from their past. We actually got this one guy, James, he's a bodybuilder. And he suffered an injury many years ago. So he's actually not able to participate in the actual wrestling. So we actually have him as one of our staff writers. So that's really the great thing about the WWE uh, Wrestling Foundation homes for elderly people. That's a hell of an acronym. I know we're working on that. It's getting old with a storyline. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, exactly. Is uh, We're able to uh, you know engage some of the people physically. There's room for everyone is my point. If you can't, if you yes. can't be a wrestler, you can be a be writer. A if you can't be a writer, you can be, you know, help us market, promote, room for everybody. 
Hey, look, we, as you get older, too, you you tend to dress with a lot of flair and panache. Absolutely. Feather boas everywhere. I could only imagine. Like the, the... <laughs> And it's very funny, too, because, you know, a lot of these people, like we've got this one lovely woman. She's about 87. Her name is Maude. And she actually wore a lot of that stuff back in the day, you know, like sort of like right. the, uh, the floofy sort of scarves and all those sort of things. Sure. And so, you know, she just sort of had that in her wardrobe. And so very quickly we saw an opening like, oh, Maude, you've got to be our costume person, right? You, you're you're a fit for, for wardrobe. And so she was able to bring in the costuming and, and she's really developed out a lot of the – uh, outfits that are available since then with a lot of the other people. She's she's doing great. Yeah, I mean, some of that uh some of the little uh spandex mankinis uh probably a little <laughs> awkward once once the Viagra kicks in though, you know, just No, but dude, to that. your point earlier or to your point earlier, they don't care anymore. They're so past. They're not self-conscious at all, man. Like they've they've had their bodies seen and explored by people over the last 60 something years. They're not shy. You know, they've all got sort of, you know, different ailments and everyone sort of understands where they are in life. So there's a lot of acceptance, you know, and everybody's sort of able to see past some of the obvious uh, unpleasantries to uh, really what's, uh, you know, what, what else is there that they can appreciate? Now, I know we got a movie to discuss, but but before we get to it, I do want to kind of just dig a little deeper into this and just I'm curious maybe <laughs> let's, let's keep tearing this tuna can open, baby. What else is in right, here? Right, right. I want to know <laughs> like maybe you could tell me a little bit about some of the activities that you have planned uh for some of the a- ailing uh old wrestlers, you know, like do they do bingo or karaoke or or you know, is there golf or Ryan, Ryan, uh, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. No, the everything that you're saying right now now is what every other retirement home has to offer. That's that we we would never separate ourselves sure. by doing what everyone else is doing. So, so what no. sets you guys apart? Like so what, it, what? so so look, what it is 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 once a week, every Friday night, we have a big performance. And so kind of think oh, of it wow. a little bit like, you know how like Saturday Night Live, right? It's a weekly performance. They obviously go on Saturday sure. night. And it's just this run where the previous six days are all just practicing, rehearsing, writing, preparing for that live show on Saturday. Very much the Wait. same thing. We just go up on Fridays. Are you doing cabaret? Are you doing WWE cabaret? Well, no. I mean, I I don't know if you've watched WWE recently, but it's pretty much cabaret as it is. I mean... <laughs> Dude, you, you they literally had point. Billy Corgan writing storylines for them for like That's a good point. Yeah, or maybe it was like the TNF or whatever the other the more southern one is than WWE, but like yeah, no, it, I mean, I've always said that wrestling is soap opera for males, right? It's wow. all just yeah. made up storylines, practicing, you know, and it's and it's it's always the most salacious stuff like, "Hey, uh, I'm challenging you to the ring because you slept with my wife, right? And then the wife comes out and it's like, she didn't sleep with me. I'm her twin sister. What? And it's like, <laughs> this is this is just, this is a soap opera. This so, is a telenovela, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, man, I hope, I can only hope as I get older uh, in the not so distant future, I will end up at your cabaret filled telenovela soaked what would your wrestling name be what would your character be oh man that's a good question um maybe the grand poobah the grand I like poobah that. yeah yeah like fred flintstone was you know in the flintstones he was the so you would dress I like, like that. fred flintstone 
I would with little horns on the hat, you know, and I would come out, you know, I'll nice. stout. That's great. That's good. <laughs> for, some, for some reason, what came to my mind is the great Ryanardo. And you kind of okay. have a very like Salvador Dali kind of style of presentation. Ooh, with a big mustache. Exactly. With a big, big curly mustache. mustache. I see oh, you in like, like a that. top hat. That's kind of a little bit crooked, but also still wearing like a full on suit, but then maybe with some like purple and yellow sashes and shit. Basically, you've just described me as Waluigi. I'm, Walu- <laughs> I'm the great Ryanardo. With a, with a fair amount of Liberace <laughs> thrown in for good measure. <laughs> <laughs> with a big boa, yeah, with a big feather boa, a little flare. Exactly. No shirt, <laughs> just some panties on. <laughs> All right, Jason, well, we got a movie to discuss. That's what the listeners are here for. Uh, what really? are we talking about? Uh, what are we here for? What are we doing today? Jason, why don't you give give us a little info, give us a little skinny on the movie we're talking about. I thought this was what we were here for. I thought we were just doing nonsense for, you know, hours at a time. No? Yeah, but now we're doing, like, focused nonsense oh, about a specific movie film. nonsense. I see, I see. Okay, hold on. <clears throat> In that case, let me get on my, my movie announcer voice and really lean into the nonsense. <clears throat> From Google, after returning home from the Vietnam War, veteran Jacob Singer, played by Tim Robbins, struggles to maintain his sanity. Plagued by hallucinations and flashbacks, Singer rapidly falls apart as the world and people around him morph and twist into disturbing images as he descends into madness. There it is. I love it. (laughs) And, uh... What's the name of this film we're talking about? It's a little something called uh, whatever the hell, but Ryan. No, it's called Jacob's Ladder. Uh, I probably should have mentioned that at the top of the show. But, you know, look, the people, they see the, uh, the the titles when they press the play. They know what they're here for. We pretend like they don't. Like we're doing a big reveal. Huh? What movie are they going to do? What movie are they? They know because it's on the title. But anyways, we we're going to Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> Jacob's ladder. Where were you and when they built that ladder to heaven? As Trey and Matt taught us, freedom costs a buck oh five. <laughs> so Ryan, with that being said, I got to know, baby. I just got to know. What did you think about this movie, Jason? I would love to tell you right after this trailer for Jacob's Ladder. Every day, Jacob Singer goes to work. What's wrong? Uh, It's one of those days. And every day, he wonders what is happening to him. Maybe it's the pressure, Jake. They're like demons, Jess. They weren't human. What were they, Jake? Clearly, look at your hand. You have a very strange line. See, according to this, you're already dead. wrong jake they're coming after me i don't know who they are or what they are but they're gonna get me and i'm scared jake i've seen them too maybe the demons are real he's running 106 feet this is barbaric i can get rid of the demons who are you i can block the ladder where are you taking me where am i where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. All right, Ryan. So, 
We're here to discuss Jacob's Ladder and discuss this movie, we will, because I don't know how you felt about this, but uh, I was very conflicted about this movie. Me too. I still kind of am. I can say it was certainly disappointing. I'm not yeah. certain exactly to what degree, because I do think it's at least okay, and there are elements of the film that I do like, but I just feel like fundamentally at its core, there's something about this film, the way that it was completed, that just kind of doesn't work or is unsatisfying. And I'm looking forward to kind of exploring that with you over the course of the episode. It sounds like your reaction was similar. Similar. Yeah, this was a weird one. I did, There are parts of this movie I love. Uh, sure. there, in fact... Um, you know, I, I gave, uh, I'm going, you're going to find out at the end of this episode, I gave this a fairly positive review. There are parts of this movie that I did not like. And, uh, this was kind of a hard one for me to work through because as always, you know, we, uh, the, the purpose of this show isn't to just say I liked it or didn't like it, but to really force ourselves to look in the mirror and say, why, why didn't you like it? What about this? Didn't you like, or what about this? Did you love? Yeah. And it was kind of hard for me to nail down. Um, I did come up with a few semi-reasonable responses. I also have some questions for you along the way that cool. I will, because I'm still trying to suss it all out myself. <laughs> so sometimes the best I could do is be like, just ask Jason. Maybe he'll give you the answers. <laughs> and so if I've not, got some we'll, of those we'll work through up. it here together. Correct. This may be more of a workshop than, uh, than a film <laughs> discussion. So. Um, but I, I, overall it was, you know, definitely interesting. I respect this movie for some of the chances it took. Um, it was definitely unique in the, uh, you know, the, the perspective, uh, on death and, and, you know, the, the near death experience and, and seeing the white light and all of that. Um, I just think it's like, it's one of those frustrating experiences. I'm trying to think of what the, the, there have been some other movies that we've discussed on this show, maybe even in my five minutes where I almost get mad when a movie gets so close to greatness. Yeah. Like I would almost rather it suck Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and be like a shitty B movie or just embrace the cheesiness or, or schlockiness or whatever. Um, this movie was like for me really close to great, but some of the shortcomings just kind of lost it for me. Cause I was like, Ah, come on, you know, it's like, ah, anyway. Yeah. Well, and we'll discuss exactly what may have led to some of those decisions. I think this is a film that ultimately, I don't know how much research you were able to do about the original script and Adrian Lin's involvement and how kind of changed sure. the project and all of that. But I really do feel that ultimately he probably wasn't the greatest choice for this type of script just because it does seem like a lot of what was fundamentally at the core of the script was what Lynn took issue with and wanted to change. And he did introduce some elements of the film that really work, but you almost right. get the sense that you wish he would have left these things intact and changed some of these other things instead of just, right. you, you know, so it's like, I feel like it was very much sort of like a one step forward, one step back kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll just jump right into it and say that, you know, without getting too far down the line, I love uh, Adrian Lin's take on the obscurity of some of these evils that he's showing us and uh, his take on not just 
giving away the bag by showing us all, you know, straight ahead. Because I, it's my understanding that like some of the things in the original script were very literal, very demon. Yeah. You know, uh, the imagery was very demon based and angel based and stuff like that. It was very on the nose. And sure. Adrian decided to, you know, dial some of that back and leave it very obscure and and uh, lean more into the feelings and overall vibes of the moment instead of just giving it away at you know and making it a straight ahead horror film that i agree with like that worked for me i love that i love the obscurity i love wondering what the fuck the whole time um you know kind of being in the dark and and the breadcrumbs he's giving away uh but then you know a lot of the department heads i had a problem with like you know we're gonna get into the music for example or tim robbins um he gets heralded for this performance as he took a lot of chances stepping away from some of his lighter fare and comedy beats to go into a dramatic role in borderline horror and um you know some of the things he did worked for me a lot of the things he did did not work for me Um, I'm going to be in the minority by saying that because uh, all the research that I did, people really gave him his roses for this performance. But uh, interesting. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, you will not find me. I kind of feel like it was like almost there, but it just didn't quite land with me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to work through it, though. We'll uh, we'll discuss here in a little bit. So let's go ahead and let's get started. I just need a good place for us to start our discussion, Ryan. At the beginning. And by the way. At the beginning of this movie was our good old friends, Carol Co. Yes. I love that. (laughs) Carol Co. and TriStar coming together. Oh, yes. Get the brilliance of the Pegasus or Unicorn. I always forget which one it is. And yes, of course, the infamous Carol Co. If you don't know about Carol Co., research them. Hell of a story there. There's a whole ass documentary about them. Did you ever see that documentary? No, I didn't. Oh, dude. Fantastic shit. Nice. I'll definitely check that out. So, yeah, after we get those wonderful intros, we open on a wide shot of helicopters at Magic Hour. They are in Vietnam. We soon learn that they are carrying soldiers. We're also seeing that there's a very sort of soft hallmark to the imagery. That's going to be something of a distinction of Adrian Lin's movies. Now, we quickly see that the soldiers are resting. They're joking around, having a good time. We're informed that it's 1971. And among other people, we see a very young Ving Rames who stuck out, as well as a very young Tim Robbins. He's, you know, they're sort of joshing him. Tim Robbins, that is. He appears to be some sort of sergeant general, perhaps. Maybe he's just another soldier. Either way, they're joshing him as he walks back from the jungle when all of a sudden the soldiers are suddenly and violently attacked. It's fairly graphic, the injuries that we see taking place. There's a lot of dismemberment and goring. And, you know, some of the soldiers are kind of having like a freak out moment where they're starting to sort of like grab their head and spin around in place. So we're not really sure what's going on there at first. And we see that Jacob, our main character, Jacob, played by the young Tim Robbins, is sneaking through the jungle when he's attacked by a bayonet, disemboweled. And we immediately jump cut to that same person, Jacob, but he's on a subway in postal worker attire, and he's seeming to wake up from some sort of dream. Now, Ryan, I do just want to mention, because like I said, I do have a lot of issues with this film, but there is one shot in particular that I thought really, really worked for me that was very much a sort of a 
almost like a jump scare of sorts, but like cinematically through the camera. And that's the scene where Tim Robbins is attacked because it sort of shows everything from a series of what I guess we'll call third person vantage points, right? It's sort of traditional, you know, mise-en-scene where with regards to, you know, setting up a wide shot and cutting and showing the jungles and some close-ups and this and that. And so then we get this wide shot where Tim Robbins is, again, creeping through the jungle and we sort of think that it's just a wide shot like any other. And then all of a sudden the camera moves forward and like darts forward and we realize that it actually wasn't a like third person POV shot. It was actually like a first person representing the soldier that was like hiding and coming out. And so I thought that was a really cool sort of like visual camera based cinematic fake out that that really caught me by surprise. So again, I'm going to be very critical of this film. So it's like, Hey, I at least wanted to give you a couple compliments here and there where I could find (laughs) them. So uh, let me give you some props for that. That moment really worked for me. Dude, there were a lot of little moments that worked for me. It's the big stuff kind of that yeah. didn't work for me, I guess. Like uh, the the next scene that we're getting to with him waking up on the subway, as he goes down the train, there's a woman sitting there and he's asking, do we pass my stop? I, you know, I, I fell asleep, my bad. Uh, did we pass this stop? And she's not answering and he's like, all right, well, fuck it, I guess. And he gets off on the next stop. That was his stop. He did not miss his stop. Um, but then as he looks back at the train, the woman is just staring at him and her eyes are all, like she must be wearing some black contacts or something. And this happens a couple of times throughout the film because sure. she's staring at him with these dead eyes. And yes. um, yeah. And then as, as, he, as he's getting off the plane, he sees like um, a homeless person or, or someone of lesser means or whatever, you know, all bundled up in a jacket and sleeping on the train. And then like he, this person has a meaty tail of sorts. It almost looks like a penile or uh phallic uh representation and it like slowly tucks up underneath the overcoat um kind of letting you know that some surreal shit is going to be happening throughout the film it sets the tone kind of lets you know what kind of movie this is going to be but that woman's eyes really kind of spooked me out it was there's like these little creepy moments that that left you unsettled uh, sure and and uh, on that level i think the movie really succeeds and it it sets the tone right out the gate this is what kind of movie it's going to be and i was all in and funny thing point. about that moment with the tail <laughs> so they originally when they filmed that they actually designed it to where the tail was that it had like a trigger some sort of air based trigger and the tail actually popped out but then when they Ooh. were in editing they realized like, oh, you know what? It actually might be creepier if it like contracts into itself. Like it's it's like it's got something to hide almost and it's trying to hide right. itself, right? Instead of like trying to like jump out and grab at him. So they actually just reversed I the agree. footage and had it run backwards so that it drew into itself. Sure. I agree. I think at this point in the beginning of the film, pulling back and being like, no, you don't get to see that yet. Like I think that's yeah. got a, a better way to go about things. Yeah, definitely. Because it's not really going to be like a, it's not a fun house ride of a film. It's not like, Oh, here's sure. a bunch of stuff jumping out. Nah, it's crazy. Terror, ah. you know, screams, whatever. No, like it's a, it's trying to be a cerebral mind fuck film of, you know, Oh, what's really Correct. going on and what's reality and what's not, et cetera, et cetera. But well, and, and let me just ask you. So because again, I don't really know, a, a, a better way to describe it than just like mind fuck, right? Like, cause that's uh, what we all know. So w- that's what this film is trying to be is that type of film. Do you think that because pretty much every decision that's made is in service of that general idea or tone or aesthetic or concept, however you want to refer to it. Do you think that the film works 
Do you think that it works as a mindfuck film or do you think it half works like or half works? Okay. Yeah. So what, and, and, yeah, and I mean, what, I, what parts I kind of, the... of guessed what was going on, um, you know, uh, well, you, you knew this, the... I mean, we've talked about this before. Like you're a huge, uh, how did this get made fan? And, and Jason Manzoukas Correct. is constantly talking Jason about Jason Manzoukas ruined there's, this movie. There's, for uh, me. <laughs> there's an entire YouTube videos, uh, right. uh, explaining his, his Jacob's ladder thing. Is this a Jacob's Ladder scenario? Correct, we always yeah. ask, you know, about stupid movies, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I kind of saw this coming, and then, uh, but there were moments like I knew the gist, but I didn't know how or why or what, and so the movie still succeeded for me, even though I knew, you know, this was kind of what it was. Um, and then even in the description of the film, you know, it, it talks about this being a PTSD based film and so on. So, um, yeah, it just, I, I kind of wasn't sure how the reveal was going to play out or, and then, you know, there are a lot of red herrings, uh, lots of ham fisted red herrings that, you know, are red herrings, but I'm so distracted by the red herrings trying to figure out what the fuck that is. Like what, 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 why that now I'm not paying attention to the movie, um, so I think it was so like, maybe it was trying too hard to be a psychological thriller or a mind fuck, as you were saying that, you know, then the movie just like what, what could have been a great narrative and told an awesome story gets lost into being a, an M night Shyamalan ripoff kind of film thing. Right? Like, sure. Well, that's the, I'm only using that as like a trope, but we get what that means. And I think we can go ahead and just call it out because since it is a known thing, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, when when Jason Manzoukas and other people refer to a Jacob's Ladder scenario, it, they're referring to any scenario wherein the entire storyline is a reflection of a dying person's last thoughts or imagination or right. whatever, right? Like that's like that's a known thing that's out there now when Jason Manzoukas says Jacob's Ladder scenario, that's what he's talking about. So – Sure. You know, so so acknowledging that, I think that it makes sense to then look at how much that does or doesn't work and how much it does or doesn't set up the film for success. And what I mean by that is for me, again, one of our favorite expressions here on the show is uh, how much meat was on this bone, right? And at the end of the day, very little, very little. You know, I think that if you want to be a puzzle box of a film – you know, David Fincher could do something like that really well. There's a number of people that can do that very well and keep you guessing, but you've really got to play into the more mystery aspects of it. The problem where you're basically doing a movie where everything is not happening, it's just the thoughts and imagination of, of one person, is at that point, it really needs to become a fun house ride because none of this is real. There's no great mystery. Right. It's not going to amount to a big payoff with an antagonist. Or if it does, again, it's going to be a fake payoff because it's all in this person's head, right? And so at that point, really your job is just to entertain and give me a bunch of visual and aural stimulation and set mood and tone and atmosphere and just just fuck with me, right? You know, what's there, what's sure. not, just really have fun with that concept because, again, there's no mystery because all of this is just made up. And so that was, I think, my biggest problem with the film is, is that it's all a dream. 
Yeah, it, it, right. You know, yeah, exactly. Like it's the Basically, whole thing where like your your protagonist wakes up at the end of it is like, oh, wife's sleepy eyes. I had the craziest yeah, dream. Exactly. You know, it's, it's the, the same thing. It's who shot Jr. from from <laughs> Dynasty from Dallas, right? It's like the fuck, and then you know, uh, dude goes into the shower and the woman's there. Like, yeah, yeah. I just what's Family Guy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just you know when when you're gonna do when it's all a dream movie that is you know thin ice you're walking on with me narratively like yeah that's such a but that's cop out trope totally and then that's the thing is so at that point because look what's awesome about dreams right surreality uh fantastic imagery bizarre juxtapositions of things that don't right. belong together right so then play into that give me those things go full sure. salvador dali right or David Lynch or David Lynch or any of these guys right you know so because again like our buddy Crohn's should have directed you don't this. need to focus on the story because it's it, there's nothing there there is no story the story is that there's no story so okay let's just have fun with this you know right and let's trip people out yeah. let's consistently pull the rug out from them let's trip them out let's show them some bizarre ass shit and they got to some of that like there were yeah. moments in this movie I was moments. all in sure but then there were moments that they were asking me to care about characters or go down the road and like, like when all the Vietnam vets were getting together and trying to, you know, figure it out together and like go and do the lawsuit and all of that. None of that matters. Yeah. They just cut that off. Right. It's like, why did you even get Jason Alexander for this role? I don't know if he was anybody at the time, but it's like, Hey, here's a, here's a scene. Let's set this. Ah, just kidding. It's not really actually nothing's happening. And it's like, yeah, that was super strange. Well, and this is why I didn't want to bring this up at the top, because all, all I'm going to do is go on a rant for 45 minutes and spoil the whole movie. We don't have to go down through the rabbit hole or of the movie narratively like we normally do, because I'm just going to go scene by scene and just shit on it and, or go through and celebrate it, because um, I do think it deserves both. But uh, well, no, yeah. but there are still there are still elements of the film that we can discuss. So, like, you know, for example, right now we've just gotten through the train and then he ends up getting off of the train. Right. And he doesn't recognize where sure. he is. So he's wandering through the tracks and then he ends up like being on the tracks and then, you know, dives away at the last minute to look up at the train and see these faceless people, which is always kind of an interesting thing. And then I think that's also when we sort that of introduced the sort of shaky head thing that they've got going on, which we which we actually Love saw in Old Boy just a couple of weeks uh, prior when he we goes did? crazy at the beginning with the ants. Sure. Dude, I didn't even think about that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, from there, he goes home to the lovely Elizabeth Pena, who does a great job in this and pretty much anything that she's in. She's in a small apartment. And we have a quick shot of it cutting back to him dying at Vietnam. So that's going to be, again, one of those sort of like, quote unquote, breadcrumbs of which it's not, you know, still pretty shallow. We cut back to the apartment. Jacob's looking through old pictures of his family. And we learn that he had a son that died when he was very young, which really happened. Son played by a pre-Home Alone Macaulay Culkin, by the way. Obviously, no one's going to be shocked by that if you've seen the film. And sure. he also has two other children and a wife. So, you know, they are still sort of giving us some information about who this guy is. After that, of course, is when Elizabeth Pena's character, Jezebel, by the way, pretty on the nose there, uh, burns the pics in an incinerator. And then we also get introduced after that to Danny Aiello's character, Lewis, who's one of the more interesting characters. And this is where those sort of remnants of that more traditional 
good versus evil supernatural starts to come into play because you have Elizabeth Pena who's sort of supposed to represent the dark, right? And she's and to the point that she's named Jezebel and she's supposed Her to inhabit that. Her name is Jezebel. <laughs> oh, it's so ham-fisted. Yeah, right. You and, know. He's like, and he's calling her Jezzy. Like, that's going to like, oh, wait. Oh, her name's like, that's going to be a big pay, pay No, it's not a payoff. Well, no, I'm but he acknowledges that right at the top because, you know, he says something to the effect of like, you know, it's super funny that you're not religious given your name. You know, Jezebel's from the sure. Bible, right? Or something like that. He says, but the that's top. the ham fisted shit I'm talking yeah. about. You know, he's like already l- winking and nudging. We have Michael, the archangel. We have Gabriel, uh, which is an angelic name, uh, protector name. Um, of course, Jacob, which is uh, biblical. Sure. Uh, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob's ladder, which is the ladder ascending to heaven. Um, you know, this is, these are all biblical allegories yes. uh, all throughout. Even his wife, Sarah. Uh, was the wife of Abraham um, who begat Isaac and all these things. So, uh, you know, my my Christian school days, I might be a little off on a couple of these things, but they were just like, ding, 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 all the way through. <laughs> like, uh, really heavy into the biblical allegories here. Yeah, well, and let's talk about that because that's basically coming from the script, which was written by a guy named Bruce Joel Rubin. Did you happen to see this guy's resume? I did. It's uh, all pretty, over the place. pretty all over the map. I <laughs> crushed it with Ghost right after this, and uh, which is funny because I guess he struggled to get this movie made because it, you know a lot of studio heads were like, "Hey, nobody wants a Ghost story." And then Carol Co <laughs> picks it up, gives them twenty five mil. They go get this done, and then right after this, he sets box office you know bonanzas with uh, Ghost and Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. So he proved them wrong. Good on him. And then he goes on to write things like Stuart Little too. So okay. Yeah, he also did Deep Impact and the movie My Life with Michael Keaton, which is a devastating sure. film, but very good. Yes, I haven't seen that in a long time. It's been a minute, but I have seen it. Yeah, it's a good one. But um, but yeah, but let me ask you. So in terms of just, I know we kind of already talked about the specific twist and how that kind of left us hanging. But did any of, I mean, what did you think about those different aspects along the way, like the supernatural stuff? Like, do you think that because look, let's just let's just set this stage real quick. So in the original script, there's a lot more supernatural references. We talked about the biblical references right now. Sure. There are like literal devils and angels in the script. And not only that, but there's also these like interdimensional voids and things of that nature. And Lynn got rid of all of that. Right. And because he wanted he felt that he felt that obscure ideas were less scary than tangible body horror. And that's kind of why he wanted to lean into it because he wanted to make ultimately a scary film. And so he thought that instead of, okay, you know, making them literal devils, let's just give, you know, the nurse some malformed half horns and make it look kind of fleshy and go more Cronenberg with it. So you, you, you get this sort of dichotomy and almost juxtaposition between the way that Lynn wants to portray things in the original script. So would, do you, do you think, that Lynn's changes were wise or would you have liked to have seen it stay more in that original lane? Um, no, I honestly, I think Lynn's changes were wise, especially, and let's keep this in mind. Uh, they had a Carol Co budget of $25 million. Sure. So, um, you know, unless they were just going to go full, uh, again, full Cronenberg and really lean into that, you know, like you said, the body horror or even David Lynch, you know, and, and getting really obscured, weird with some of the characters and stuff like that. Um, you know, they could have gone that way with it, but, uh, no, I think this worked on that regard in that regard. I think, man, this one's a hard one for me to suss out, but maybe it was just that, 
you would barely dip your toe in those waters and then it would go right back into uh, a veteran dealing with PTSD and his relationship with his ex-wife and missing his child. And look, I get it that the whole thing dials back to the last thoughts of a moment uh, before death by Jacob, right? So he's dying and he's trying to come to terms with his successes and failures in his life so that he could let go and ascend to the great beyond. So that's what this movie's about. And so as such, you're going to have things like family drama that he's trying to cope with and deal with. It can't all be aliens and grotesque creatures and demons and aliens. It's got to be because it's a person that's dying. It's a human. And so we're going to deal with a lot of human elements and love and sadness and grief and in the letting go of life. And I think those moments work, but I just... I didn't really know what this was like. It just kind of like it was genreless in a way because I was never really like I was going down the horror route and I was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Like we get to the party scene with uh, Jazzy and stuff like that. Like that was trippy. Dude, those um, faceless creatures in the car were sick. I love what what they did with that. That was so weird. I was so weirded out by that. And like the Michael character was warning him, you know, we have Jacob walking down an alleyway and then a car is all of a sudden turns the corner and starts chasing Jacob down. Mike, this character, Michael, that we, you know, it's, I think is his first appearance in the film comes around the corner, says, look out, look out. And, you know, uh, Tim Robbins goofily, very goofily, uh, runs and kind of zigzags away. He, he's not a very, uh, he's kind of a goofy dude. Well, he's super like, like uncoordinated. Cause he was like, what, like six, three or something. And like, especially right. when he was younger, I don't think he really had grown into his body. So it's kind of like gangly and like, just, he looks uncoordinated. Yes. So, um, you know, he jumps out of the way and then as he, you know, looks at the car that's passing, it's all these like weird, obscure, almost like the, that painting, the scream with the, uh, the, the guy, uh, you know, holding his cheeks, you know, looking, they almost kind of look like that character. And, um, I, I, uh, just that kind of stuff worked for me. I like that. I like the, the woman with the gypsy woman with the black eyes on the the subway. I like the tail, you know, um, coming back under the, I I liked all that. I liked the, the horns on the, the woman at the psychiatrist's office and, you know, with the gross on her head and then she puts her hat back on and stuff. Um, you know, alluding to horror is okay. I'm okay with some of that stuff, but, um, but then we just like spend these long stretches of time of Jacob kind of just lamenting, uh, his past life with his family and dealing with Jesse kind of being rude and abrupt with him or not being very empathetic to what he's going through with his PTSD and trying to come to terms with the Vietnam vets and all these things that just kind of made the film drag to me. I think a little bit, the pacing of this film was really off. What are your thoughts on that? You think I'm getting somewhere? Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's definitely merit to that. I think that, like I you're said, you're going to be like just... my film therapist for the next hour because I'm just going to come to you and then like try to work this out. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a reflection of, like I said, just a bunch of disparate elements and not really being on the same page with the direction. I think that's where you get a sort of discord of harmony, if you will, between the direction and the script and the acting and the cinematography, almost like one of those things where. Rather than like you couldn't get a team on the same page to to execute right. the same vision. And so you had to be like, OK, look, sure. we'll give you this thing and you this thing and you this thing. And so like everybody gets to do what they want. But then it's 
it's not a cohesive finished product. It's more just a, a that is a great point. You know, that is a great point. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of genres being covered here. Yeah, because there's drama. There's all the sad stuff with his, you know, him missing his family and all of that. There's the action sequences. There's the horror elements and suspense and stuff. Even the cinematography, it feels like an erotic sure. thriller that would be on like Skinamax or something like that. You know, the acting yes. is not particularly great. As Elizabeth Pena said, her character is kind of written to have like every single emotion, which kind of makes it hard to identify who or what she's about um, because she sure. can be crazy and loving and tender and harsh and, so, you know, having her sort of zigzag. Yeah, she was all over the map. But again, she's yeah. made up. So what does it matter? You can do whatever you want with her, right? Right. And None of it matters. Yeah. And that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> None of it matters. I also want to say, so, well, okay, so let's just, you know, to your point, after he's chased by the car, he does go to the psych hospital. He's trying to visit his old doctor. He's not there. The nurse shows no record. That's where you kind of see those horns that the nurse has. And after Jacob freaks out and rushes to the room, he's sort of informed by a doctor that, oh, you know, he's dead. So, again, all of this stuff in retrospect, it's just – it's all made up stuff so they can just do whatever they want. It doesn't have to – really mean anything. And again, none, none of that is inherently interesting, but then you get to the following scene where they're at the party. This is where all the weird shit happens, you know, right? Where even at the beginning, when he opens up the fridge to grab a beer or whatever it is, and there's like this weird, you know, giant oversized eagle skull or something, or I don't know what the hell it was. Might've been a horse skull. And then he's getting his palm red. And once again, you know, through that character, the writer informs us that like this guy's already dead because, you know, she's reading yeah. his mom and she's like, oh, look at that. It says here you're already dead. So, again, like there's not really that much mystery here. We get it. So it's like, OK, nope. dude's dead. So like then come with the weird shit. And then this scene does. That's where he has the sort of like hallucination on the dance floor and Jesse's straight up like copulating with some like evil winged demon from beyond. And we're seeing some like flashes of appendages and her grinding on it and stuff like that. But we're not really sure what's going on. And then I think she gets like a, some sort of spike or tail through the face or through the mouth or something like that. Yeah. And like a horn comes out of her mouth as she's about to climax almost. Yeah. yeah. And then that's where we get the whole thing where it's like, they return him to the apartment and he has a fever of 106. And again, like he doesn't. So what do I care in retrospect? Even if I was engaged in the moment, as soon as the movie's over, I'm like looking back and going like, well, shit, that meant nothing because, again, it was a made up. So but what, rather than just, you know, continue to harp on that for the next hour, let's kind of talk about some of the other things. So, again, I made reference to the fact earlier that this kind of feels like an erotic thriller that would have been made in the 80s, of which Adrian Lynn has done many of. That's what he's known for uh, nine and a half weeks and stuff like that. It's so a great success. How did the look of the film, which by the way, we, I do, I don't know where you watched this. I actually watched this on an old standard deaf disc that I had. Apparently I bought this film way back in the day and completely okay. forgot and never watched it because I was digging through my box and like, there it was. And I was like, Oh shit. But like, I, I, this is totally one of those films that was made in 1990 going on 1974. Like, I, I really expected a very young Al Pacino to pop out. Like, it was so grainy and so right. dull. And I was like, it's, it's like, this is really what 90s movies looked like? Like, it's constantly shocking how old 90s movies feel now. I think, well, I mean, the movie takes place in, I think, 75. So, uh, you know, it, it, um, it has a very 70s auteur look to it. But it's weird seeing a horror kind of done this way. Like... But I was in for it because it all takes place in New York. So it kind of has that, 
New York vibe. Like you said, I could see Al Pacino showing up. I could see Gene Hackman showing up, you know, kind of as a, a French connection kind of look uh, or a Coppola kind of look, you know. Um, it, it's very mid-70s, even though it was made in 1990. This was shot by Jeffrey Kimball, the guy that shot Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, and True Romance, uh, and on and on. Um, he went on to do some slick shit uh, later in his career, like Mission Impossible 2 for John Woo. Um, and Star Trek Nemesis and stuff. So uh, he got into the hypersaturated world down the way. But um, yeah, it, it found it. It felt very grounded, very unsaturated. It worked for me, I guess. Uh, I wasn't wowed by it, but um, I, you know, I was along for the ride. Yeah, I don't know. There was again. I think it was just one of these instances of the aesthetics not vibing. Again, you know, I just thought like for whatever reason the sort of soft again, almost erotic look to everything. It wasn't really what this movie called for. Yeah. I mean, it did kind of have that like, um, Vaseline over the, over the lens yeah. kind of look sometimes, totally. you know? Yeah, yeah I get and it. That's, and honestly, that's just I mean, as a personal aesthetic choice. Like that's never been my sort of favorite thing. Like I'm definitely much more of the like, you know, super clean, like, you know, or like really dark, grainy, gritty type of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, just that whole song, it reminded me of like, uh, a little bit of like Zardoz, you know, it's kind of got that feel. And of course, sure. you know, if anybody listening wants to right. know what we're talking about with regards to how they shot that film and how they got the look, you can go back and listen to that from season one. But yeah, it definitely had that sort of vibe to it. So I do like I do like really grainy film stock. I, I will say that. And especially nowadays where that doesn't exist anymore because we shoot on digital. There's always something very charming about just seeing a super grainy image. But again, it just... There was something about the vibe that didn't match what was going on. And so hard to put my finger on it. Again, the guy's very talented. I think it's just a matter of, you know, again, like the script and the cinematography and the direction just kind of all coming at the film from a different place and not really vibing together. Right. Now, we cut to him in bed from there. He's with his ex-wife, and this is where they start to introduce the reality of what's really going on there. You know, we see his his dead son, Gabe, and we cut to Nam and see him dying and all of that. But then we also do get a, like a really nice shot. It's the bathtub shot where there's a really long zoom out and back in on Jacob's face. And Tim Robbins does a really good job of keeping that like very red and glassy sort of look. And you do get the sense that he's sort of like trapped in his own body at that point. And Great shot. Yeah. Yeah. That was but but let's talk about this for just a quick second because – um, as he's going into this fever and then he wakes up in bed with his ex-wife, Sarah, and then his dead son is there who he's acknowledged and talked about and mourned over pre uh, you know, previous scenes. Um, they're, they're doing the whole, it was just a dream moment right then. And then that plays out for what is probably realistically 10, 12 minutes or so, maybe. Um, and then he is back in the bathtub and it's like, Oh, no, that was just a dream. And that was a fever dream. So, you know, they're pulling you in and out of reality so much so that by the end of this film, you don't even know what the fuck is going on. Like, you don't know what's to this day. I don't even know if the ending in Vietnam is real. Like, if, well, no, you know. I mean, that's the, honestly, I felt the other way because like I felt like it was very cut and dry. Like they established that all of this is just a certain dream. So, I mean, pretty much everything with Jezebel is made up a function of his imagination they do the thing where the dream is the reality, right? So in his dreams that he's having about his ex-wife, this woman, and, you know, his three kids, like that's the reality of his situation. He really did have a sure. young son that died, 
you know, on a bike, got hit by a car or whatever. And really the entire film is very simple, which is just that uh, these soldiers uh, had these experiments done on them and they went crazy and killed each other, which I did think was actually uh, an interesting way to do the same thing. We can touch on that a little bit more a little bit later. Uh, and then and then Tim Robbins dies. And so, again, this is just the space between him dying, you know, and uh, losing consciousness. I get that. Right. And I also get that these moments wouldn't be played out linearly as you're having, you know, as you're dying and the blood is draining from your brain. Yeah. You know, you're going to be, you know, bopping through all these memories, almost like a greatest hits compilation. Sure. So, um, so that part I get, I guess just like narratively from the story with me as a viewer watching this film to have your character continuously wake up from the, uh, and do the whole, it was just a dream moment. You know, like in this moment, he wakes up in bed with Sarah, his dead kids there, everything is good. And then he has this full on conversation. Like oh, I had the craziest dream. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, having sex with my coworker and she's like, Oh yeah. I, you know, was she good and blah, blah, blah. And they have this like little cute banter back and forth where they rib each other. And then Gabe comes in, uh, dad, are you okay? And like this whole thing plays out and you're like, okay, that was just, now we're going to go down this road. And then like immediately it pulls you out of that. And it's like, boom, now he's back in the bathtub. And that was just a dream. And then he's like, Oh, you know, I had the craziest dream. I was just my ex-wife. So it's just like, when you're going to continually use that device, of the, oh, it was just a dream to like put me on my back foot. So I don't know what's going on. It was almost like it was kind of a cheap, cheap way of doing that. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I really feel like a large part of the way, the reason that the film ended that way is because of how much Adrian Lynn affected the screenplay. So for example, in the original script, like Jez Jesse is a full on demon, right? And Lewis is a full on angel. And those things are still alluded to in this script, but they're not fully examined. And so, for example, in the original script, which which there is a piece that sort of made it a remnant that I did think was resonant. And it basically talks about how the demons aren't really demons. At the end of the day, when when it's revealed, basically the demons are sort of representatives of the afterlife and depending on how ready you are to progress to that next stage or not affects right. how you view them. So basically like if you die in a good place and you know, you die in peace and you're ready to go to the next level, then these entities will present themselves as angels and your family members and all these wonderful things. But if you fear that progression into the next stage of existence, then they will present sure. themselves as demons. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. I liked it too. Lewis lays this out at the end of act two, beginning of act three, he talks about that to, to Jacob as he's uh, after he rescues him from the hospital. Yeah. And so, and so what that's, and so what's that's even a remnant of is what I think would have made this, film work which is in the original script and that's basically the fact that like Jesse Jesse is again a literal demon and she's basically working to prevent him from moving on right and Lewis is an angel who's basically fighting on his behalf to try to get him to move on to usher him in correct yeah. and it all leads into a final showdown between Jesse and Jacob and they actually have some sort of full-on confrontation battle, whatever, which Lynn then removed and sort of half alluded to. But then he does that thing where, you know, um, 
It's basically like the Scooby-Doo ending, right? Like he turns Jezebel around and like, oh, it's not Jezebel. It's actually your own face staring back at you (laughs) because he wanted to include this ham-fisted metaphor about how his own enemy was really himself. Got it. And that's why Lynn made that decision. So he took out a final confrontation with Jezebel and then just put in this quick scene of Tim Robbins turning around, seeing himself. And that's supposed to be our sort of like – third act climax and like that's not a climax that's a third act moment perhaps but that's you know <laughs> all right and so you and so you you took away basically the final confrontation between the protagonist and the antagonist and then you're left to wonder why the movie is not as satisfying as it could have been you know let me ask you real quick did you like tim robbins in this movie No. So here's the thing. I'm actually not as big a fan of Tim Robbins as a lot of people are just in general. We've talked about his performance in the Hudsucker Proxy, which I found not engaging. It was is I don't think he's a Jim Carrey type of funny man the way that the Coens tried to ask him to be. I thought he was really I I think he plays smart, serious characters really well. So like Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption was a perfect role for Tim Robbins. He was brilliant in it. Yes. I can't say that I've seen Bob Roberts or some of his other satirical movies, but I can say that pretty much when I think of like what is – He was good in Bull Durham. Yeah. Again, when I think of the perfect role for for Tim Robbins, it's Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption. So no. So this didn't really work for me. I think that part of it, it was just he was still young, so I think he was becoming a better actor. And I think part of it as well is that – I don't think that Adrian Lin is really an actor's director, especially after seeing okay. some of the behind the scenes. So I think that there was um, – you know, we've talked about this before. Like if you give an artist a certain you know, creative freedom, that can look really great, right? But sometimes you know, they, they, they need a place to start, especially when it comes to actors You because uh, if you, know, you don't have somebody sitting there watching you telling you to dial it back a little bit, then you get these crazy Nick Cage performances, which is fine, but you got to make sure you're in a Nick Cage movie. But – you know, for me, I like I, I always kind of would have liked to have seen more of that energy. You know, I would I think maybe if it was played a little less straight with a little more emotion. But I also understand, for example, that like a large part of that was at Lynn's direction. He really wanted to make this a quote unquote human movie, you know, that looked at the relationships sure. and the inner turmoil. And-, and I'm okay with Jacob being endearing and empathetic and going down that road as he's letting go of his past. It's an emotional journey that we're on. I feel like Tim Robbins is too dopey for that. I was like, I'm kind of watching some of these moments and I'm not feeling the heartbreak. I'm Correct, not like yeah. going down. I'm not those emotional beats that this movie is filled with. When we're taking a break from the what the fuck moments of the horned woman and, you know, coitus on the dance floor with demons, um, then you're leaving me with emotional beats as as this character of Jacob is letting go of his life to ascend into the afterlife in the great beyond as he was murdered by his own men uh, in cold blood on an acid trip in Vietnam. Okay, that's our story. Um, But. I'm not, but, but when half the movie are these emotional beats and gut wrenching moments, even, even when Tim Robbins is crying in bed, uh, mourning his dead son, looking at old photos that have been dropped off at his house. And in the moment we mentioned earlier, I wasn't along for that ride. Like I didn't really feel it. Like I don't really feel like Tim Robbins is that kind of an actor to me. I wasn't really going along that journey. I feel like he's too kind of just dopey and, and, um, 
I don't know. If, uh, if, I, if I might offer a different adjective, I think that he's a very cerebral actor. And so I okay. think that what it is is that I think that he lacks a certain – I don't want to say he lacks a certain humanity. That's a bit strong. But I do think, I think that he lacks a certain – relatable emotionality let's say i don't even know if that's a word right but so like when i think of tim robbins i think of somebody who's very cold who's very calculating like tim robbins is not gonna like put his arm around you when you had a bad day and like ah it's all right buddy you know let's go shake it off like he's gonna like sit down and lecture you about things right so I think that he – I think that what it is, again, I think cold is the best thing that I can think of. And so, again, that works perfectly for an Andy Dufresne. Like I'm thinking of the moment in the Shawshank Redemption very early on. I think it's the only scene where they show us they show us Andy being on trial and there's a comment that the attorney makes and he says to Andy, well, you know, they were never able to find the gun in the river. Don't you think that's a little convenient? And Andy turns around and he says, well, actually, because I'm completely innocent of this crime, I find it decidedly inconvenient. And like, that's Tim Robbins, right? Doesn't put up with shit, you know, smart dude, intelligent, can hang, um, not going to get emotionally invested. He's not going to go up and be like, please, you got to let me go. He's just like, no, I didn't do this. You know, please take me off. You know what you did is wrong. I didn't do anything. And so, again, when you're asking Tim, Tim, I don't think Tim Robbins does emotion great. I think he would be great to play those characters that have decidedly lack of emotions, right? The stern father figure that doesn't approve of his son's artistic pursuits and things of that nature. So, no. So asking him to do all these very dramatic emotional beats I don't think works here. Yeah, I I was racking my brain on who I would have rather seen in this film. And I couldn't come up with a better option. (laughs) Maybe because like you said, maybe because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. So there's a lot going on. Maybe the problem isn't entirely on Tim Robbins shoulders. Uh, Maybe, you know, they're because like, uh, you know, we haven't even gotten to the music yet. The music didn't work for me at all. Um, Ryan, I know uh, I I, I just have to say this. I know I pitch him as the answer to everything every single time that you ask who should have been in this movie. But our boy, Michael Shannon would have crushed this. (laughs) Absolutely crushed this movie. He would have. He totes would have. <laughs> I don't even know how old he was in 1990, but he would have crushed this movie. Yeah, he was probably like 17 <laughs> years old. Also, let me crushed. ask you, have you seen any other Adrian Lynn films? I have. Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. So, uh, so the let's see, he's got five big ones that I noticed here, which would be Flashdance, Fatal Attraction, Nine and a Half Weeks, Indecent Proposal, and Unfaithful, yep. which I've actually heard Unfaithful is a really good movie. But have you seen any or all five of those? I have. I have seen all five of those movies. Wow. That's crazy. I Yeah, I have not seen any of those movies. So are they good movies? For what they are, for their genre, yes. So he's, so you would say that Adrian Lin's a, a good director? For what he does, yes. Now, I will also add, I have not seen these movies in a long time. Like, these are movies that were big in the 90s or for me. Uh, you know, is when I kind of came to watch a lot of these movies in the 90s, and um, I haven't really gone back to watch them. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, as far as that, you know, sultry, sultry thriller that was big in those days, you know, you had movies like Jade uh, and some of these other things. I think that uh, he handled that pretty well. Man, I haven't seen Flashdance in forever. That was huge back in the day. Do you know, by the way, that I have never seen Flashdance and furthermore, not only have I not seen it, but I am constantly getting it confused with Footloose. Right. 
I think that's a fair. I mean, they're eighties dance movies. You know what I mean? Sure. Flashdance is the one with Swayze, right? Uh, Flashdance is not the one with Swayze. Oh no, that's okay. That is so. Then that's Footloose. No, Footloose is Kevin Bacon, really? the greatest actor of all time. Oh, wow. So yeah. he just did Dirty Dancing. Dirt, dirty it? Dancing has Dirty Dancing has Swayze. Wow. And of, and of course, Ghost, written by our boy here. Sure. Right. Huh. Yeah. No, that's but crazy. if you're talking yeah, like no. early to mid '80s dance-based films, um, no, Flashdance has Jennifer Beals. Okay. And that put yeah, kind of put her on the map as like a, you know, as a '80s sultry hot chick as an exotic dancer of sorts. That's the one that Deadpool parodies when she's on the chair. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, where she, she, lifts, she drops up her hips and, the, the and then the water falls on her and the whole bit. Yeah, yeah that's flash definitely. dance. By the way, like, how have we never had, I don't know, a sketch, a film, any sort of like reunion 30 years later where Patrick Swayze and Kevin Bacon have a dance off? I feel like we missed the boat on being able to do that <laughs> while we could. That would have been money. Yeah. I mean, that's how Guardians ends, you know, the dance off <laughs> emulating the greatest actor of all time, Kevin Bacon, who reprises <laughs> his role in Guardians Holiday Special, which I don't think you've seen, but it's fantastic. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you got Footloose, which is Kevin Bacon, who can't dance because John Lithgow is uh, actively conservatively banning dancing in the town. Is that really dancing what that movie's evil. about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh man, that <laughs> fucking movie. Lockout at that movie's Lockout at the Rec Center? That's what that movie is? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kevin Bacon oh, comes fantastic. into town and he's like and the John Lithgow's like, "Oh, the, all these kids and their hip thrust in and this and that." And he tries to ban <laughs> dancing. And then there's the uh the the scene where like Kevin Bacon has to come to terms with his shit and then like he's dancing all over the You can't stop my the, the warehouse, the abandoned warehouse, you know? And then, you know, of course you have the Kenny Loggins song that, you know, everybody So is, is that is that who uh Jimmy Jr is based off of from uh Bob's Burgers? He's oh, Kevin wow. Bacon. You can't stop Absolutely. my dancing. Okay, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even thought about that until right this very minute. But yeah, probably that's the deal. <laughs> oh man, I got, I got, I got to go back and watch that movie. I'm gonna fucking hate it, but I still got to do it. You gotta hate that movie. Yes. <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsor. Well, hello there, good sir and madam. Welcome to Baron Pennington's House of Nothing. I am Mr. Pennington. How may I help you today? Well, my wife and I are in a bit of a bind, you see. Uh, we've been all over town looking for items of absolutely no value. And despite our best efforts, everything we've come across possesses some sort of function and worth. It's quite aggravating, really. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your much-deserved frustrations, but you've come to the right place. I specialize in wares that carry no intrinsic value whatsoever. I'm certain we can find exactly what you're looking for. That's what the last guy said. Tried to convince us that string doesn't have a purpose. Can you imagine? String? Yes, well, that really is more of a mainstream offering. Thankfully, I carry exotic nothings from far across the lands. Perhaps I can interest you in this, an inflated plastic Ziploc bag. That does seem pretty useless. Inflated, you say? With what? The air of a young immigrant, sir. I watched him breathe heavily into it myself. Took seven strong-willed attempts to get the maximum amount of inflation you see here before you today. Seven attempts? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's far too much inflation. No, no, no. Imagine if I were drowning. 
I could use that air to keep myself alive for several extra few minutes. Indeed, of course, sir. You and your wife are most discerning on the matters of nothing. Might I bring your attention to this? A splayed paperclip housed upon a wad of chewed bubble tape. Bubble tape? Pretty clever marketing gimmick. I agree. Much too clever to constitute nothing. I'm beginning to doubt your credentials, Mr. Pennington. Now there's no need to get nasty. How about some peanut butter smeared on a playing card? Nonsense! At solitaire and a healthy snack, all rolled into one. A discarded toenail? The toenails is proteins, and proteins is good for the body. An IOU from a distant cousin. Money in the bank to be paid off later. <sighs> well, now, I hate to admit this, but it looks like everything in this store does actually have some measure of value. To think what I've done with my life. I may as well just give it all up. Oh, what did you say? I said you're right. Everything here has value. I'm just going to give up. By golly, that's it. Giving up. Honey, can you believe it? Uh, we finally found it. The thing with absolutely nothing. It was giving up all along. Giving up is the least valuable thing anyone can do. Cheers, Mr. Pennington. Cheers? You really mean it? Of course we do. We've been searching for something of no value for years, and you finally delivered for us. Thank you so much. How much do we owe you for the giving up? Um, $375 cash. Sold! And now, back to the show. This is also, uh, when we get back to the film, this is where his war buddy Paul calls. This is the large guy who sort of froze in place and he's actually real. He meets Jacobs at the bar, says he's seeing things too. And we're all, he's being, they're being watched by that guy. I forget. I think he said his name was David. I just called him young Egon because he looked, he looked a lot like Egon Spangler. Uh, who is this? Sisters. But either way, uh, the, the, the guy that's like oh, watching Michael. over him, you know, like shows up. Yeah. Michael. That's what it right. was. Yeah. Not Another David, biblical Michael. name though. Yeah. Michael, the yeah, archangel. I, I call him young Egon. Right, yeah. He looks like him. Yeah. And we get the where, you know, and the, like this is what this film does all the time that's so weird, okay? Is even if you are going to be a mindfuck film and nothing ever happens, like why do you constantly introduce a story element and then within three to five right. minutes completely negate it? It's not even like you set it up early and then we revisit it a couple times and then right. by the end it turns out to be bullshit. They're, they're just like, here's a thing. Actually, here's not a thing. So like this scene, for example, you could have very easily had us meet up with Paul at a bar earlier on and then he kind of goes away and we come back to him. But they literally are like, hey, I'm your buddy Paul. Shit's going on. Let's meet at the bar. Okay. Meet at the bar. Shit, weird shit's going on, yeah? Yeah, okay, let's get out of here. And then he goes and starts sure. his car and explodes and is gone. Like, like, why wouldn't you stretch that out over the course of the film to get us to go down that path? If you're trying to be a red herring film and pull a series of gotcha moments on your audience, like, like lead us down effectively. This is where right? I'm going like, to have a problem with this Lead us down that rabbit hole. Get us invested. I get the letting go, great beyond life flashing before your eyes narrative. I get the demons and angels fighting for his soul or you know, what he perceives to be those things as he's learning to let go. Okay, get that. At what point does he go down a legal battle in his last moments of his life and like come to terms with his Vietnam friends? Like where is Paul coming to him? And then like, how would he know about the latter with Michael coming to visit him while he's on? Cause like, 
remember, at this point in time, Jacob is being lifelighted out of the jungle or even in a hospital trying to be resuscitated and have his life saved by doctors. And as this is going on in reality, in the real, real world of Vietnam in 1971, his future life is flashing before his eyes in certain ways. Okay, great. But then how would he know about the latter? Is the latter real? Do you think, um, how does this Michael character visit him from 1971's Vietnam into his narrative of 1975 Manhattan to explain to him how he died in 1971's Vietnam only for him to rejoin his buddies to try to figure it out in 1975 to then sue the army only for them to back down for no reason because then they're like, yeah, we, we don't want any part of that shit, do we? Okay. Um, so this is where it gets really misconstrued for me. Just lean into the weird shit at that point. Why are you trying to narratively have this like weird drama going on with your non buddies? All that shit is just like a red herring that not only isn't happening, but couldn't happen. Yeah. No, the only thing I could think of is that it's supposed to be a reflection of, so basically in, in the imagined story, his buddies would come together, but then in reality they don't. And so I thought that that was maybe okay. some sort of allusion to the reality of like the soldiers are supposed to come together, but then they ultimately don't. They end up turning on each other. But again, it's a it's a it's a real weak thread if that is what they were going for. So regardless, let I me ask say you this effectively. Let me ask you this: Do you think the ladder is real, Jacob's ladder? Do you think yeah, well, the acid, the, the LSD yeah, that they the were drugs. poisoned with, the experiments? It's the, yeah, it's the drugs. The latter is just the name for the drugs that they gave them. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And that is explained to him and us by proxy as the audience that is explained to him by the narrative device of Michael. Do you think Correct. Michael is yeah. real? Do you, no, no, Mike. No, Michael's not. Michael's, uh, I mean, because Michael only exists in the made up narrative. Okay. Michael doesn't exist back in Vietnam. Or if he is, they certainly don't call attention to him. Okay. So because Michael's the one that, that in in Jacob's you know, before death dream is explaining what happened. Well he's giving the exposition dump yeah. of the LSD and like how that he was hired and he goes into this whole thing, you know, and I was just a kid and they brought me out and told me I was going to do this and they saved me from, you know, 30 years in Rikers and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, Ryan, let me just interrupt you because you are familiar enough and I'll ask you again, think of it biblically. Who's Michael? The archangel. Correct. Right. So okay. now here's the thing. So I think that this is, again, I think there's a lot of remnants in this film from the original script that don't play effectively because of Lynn's changes. And this is why I was critical of them at the top of the show, even though for to some degree they work, because, again, I think that piecing it back and looking at what the film could have been and what it tried to do, Michael was probably supposed to be like uh, Jacob's guide. Right to the afterlife and trying to right. yeah, I show do up believe as the Michael voice the Archangel in the biblical terms is a uh, is like a messenger Correct. of God. I yeah, think he comes exactly. he's the one that like will come to people in visions and stuff like that in in the Bible. Yeah, and so I think that in that respect, it's it's supposed to be that character. I think that I think that this Michael okay. is trying to guide Jacob to ultimate acceptance and guide help him navigate this twisted afterlife to get to a place of acceptance so he can move forward. But again, the film okay. doesn't doesn't ex explore that the script does or what the script might have been. 
And that's where I think these Got discords it. come into play. Got it. So this is just a loose thread that was left hanging. That I believe so, because yes. and there, there's a there's a um, I do know that there is a deleted scene where Michael then takes Jacob back and offers him an antidote for. Did you the, see it? Did you watch it? I did. It's trippy as it's, fuck. It's amazing. I loved it. I was like, dude, this was this should not have been an alternate ending. This should be the ending. This is a right. dope ending. Way better yes. than the one they gave us. Yeah. Yeah, because then, and then like Jacob then thinks it works and then all of a sudden we find out that it doesn't and the whole thing starts unraveling and uh, it gets super yeah. trippy. And yeah, I, there's I'm a here giant that. demon that comes from the ceiling and like blood's dripping on his face and he's got like we see all these eyes and it's this oh, yeah. alluded, alluded to being a very sort of Lovecraftian horror from beyond. And Sure. I, like, yeah, it almost had I'm like a Clive for, Barker feel to it for a minute with like the teeth and stuff. It's like, yeah. Like, yeah, that was <laughs> such a cool coming. sequence. It's like, dude, like, like if you had just done more of this i would have liked this movie a lot better because again sure. like, narratively there's no meat here it's all just a figment of the imagination or it ended up being that way because you removed so many elements that might have been more resonant from the screenplay right right yeah yeah now to your point also i, I know you you uh, mentioned earlier that the effects the head effect reminded you of the edward munch scream but interestingly yep. enough it was actually another painter's work that inspired that and i was not familiar with this gentleman before looking into this film but there is a 18th century painter and his name is francis bacon he was actually a chancellor of england if i remember correctly and he would do these portraits but he would have the faces sort of be split and distorted and not clear and so the visual effects supervisor was familiar with bacon's work and approached Lynn about wanting to do this effect, and Lynn said, sure, go for it. And so that's where they came up with the imagery. How they executed it is they very simply shot the actors uh, moving their heads around and doing the motions at four frames per second and then just sped it up to 24 in post. Nice. Yeah, yeah it worked, worked out so great. So simple that, but effective. That kind of stuff I love. I, I love it too where it's like, it's like, dude, it's so simple. Like anybody can do that. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to be – a special effects wizard, you just have to consider like, oh, if I shoot at a slower frame rate and then, you know, speed it up in post, it'll do some weird shit. Let's see what that looks like. Dude, I'm looking at Francis Bacon's paintings right now, by the way, and they're sick. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good work. It's really cool. Now, Jacob from them is brought to a decrepit hospital. That's sort of where we get some of the horror stuff where we see these bloody body parts on the floor and the doctors strap in and they sort of say that he's dead. By the way, I will say I do give this screenplay credit for story elements, but I will say a lot of the dialogue is still super clunky. And I, sure. and I doubt Adrian Lynn manipulated much of that. So, for example, when the doctors strap him in and ex like this is just a perfect example of what I'm talking about. The doctors strap him in and they look at him and they say, you're dead. And then he looks back at them and he says, I'm not dead. And then the act and then the doctors look back at him and say, then what are you? And he looks and he says, I'm alive. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's the opposite of dead, bro. Like oh, I was waiting man, for this poetic, exactly rebellious type thing. And it's like, that's just the literally the clunkiest, most on the nose, basic bitch response you could have written. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even just I'm a man or anything, literally anything other than just the exact opposite of what the other character said. <laughs> 
so yeah. annoying. So, and then, you know, that's where we get some cool effects, gets a syringe to the forehead that's kind of gross, and he wakes up to the ex-wife and kids visiting. And Dude, that whole scene was sick. He's like on a gurney strapped down, and they're like pushing him through this long corridor, and he just keeps getting scarier and scarier. You like lots of close-ups of like the the wheel shimmying on the on the gurney, and it's like running over dismembered body parts and guts and shit as they're getting back to it. But these are the moments that I'm here for. Like, the, I wish they would have leaned into a little bit more of that, and um, or at least if they were going to get into the emotional beats of him saying goodbye to his family. Like, I wish those moments would have hit me harder because they certainly didn't. Yeah. And again, this is a perfect example of where the echoes kind of remain, where I think that Louis breaking in and busting Jacob out, again, this is more supposed to be a battle for Jacob's soul, if you will, right? And so these doctors could represent these evil demons trying to take Jacob and then – Danny Aiello's character, Louis, who is, again, supposed to be playing the angel. We see that by the fact that, I mean, first of all, he, again, in another very ham-fisted exchange of dialogue, he literally calls him an angel in their first exchange. Right. But then we also see Lynn and uh, the cinematographer, whose name eludes me, you know, they they put the halo of light behind him and, and shoot him very bright. And then, you know, that contrasts with Jezebel getting, like, the black contact lenses and things of that Mm -hmm. nature. So again, I think it's, I think that when you break this scene down, it was originally supposed to be like the, the sort of one of the final battles for Jacob's soul where the demons are taking him and Louis busts in and, and saves him and, and, you know, in, in turn saves his soul. But with all of those elements stripped away and unexplored, again, you just get these remnants and echoes of things that ultimately with what we are presented as the, the finished film, as it stands today, are ultimately kind of just these incoherent threads that don't really fit together anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, some of that too, we, as we're getting kind of winding down on this discussion, uh, had to do with the music. Uh, it was done by composer Maurice Jarre. I'm I, probably butchering his last name. Uh, he is French, so we're going to go with Jarre on this one. But um, it, this is the guy that did, uh, I just talked about this guy a few weeks ago because he did the music. His first feature film was Eyes Without a Face. Um, and he crushed it on that. I really enjoyed it. And then he went yeah. on to go be David Lean's guy and did Dr. Zhivago and uh, Lawrence of Arabia and all these epic films. So this guy's got like a lot of clout. And wow. this, because of Adrian Lin, um, you know, I guess it just kind of felt like super 80s sultry kind of, I don't know. It was really dulled down. I thought some of the intense moments scarier moments and emotional beats could have been leaned into a little heavier. I felt like the score was kind of flat in this, just like the cinematography, like what you're saying. Everything was kind of just like toned way down, dialed way down. It just out this whole movie kind of, and then Tim Robbins performance, everything kind of fell flat for me, which is really pissing me off because like I said, all the ingredients are here. Everything's on the table to be a dope ass movie. A guy dealing with his last moments in death with angels and demons fighting over his soul as he's left to grieve over his lost family and, and come to terms with these last you know moments and categorize all of it. And then we in the audience uh, as the audience are left in the balance, you know, kind of watching all this play out. Cool. I'm in yeah. for all that. Sounds like a great movie right now. That sounds like a great movie. And yet this is kind of what we got. Yeah. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And I, again, I think, though, at the end of the day, I'm going to put it on Lynn's shoulders. And uh, I think that he is. We're in the minority, s- by the way. Really? 
A lot of people do love this movie. Yeah. I was uh, going, you know, watching a lot of uh, reviews and, and going, you know, on a little deep dive about this and everyone gushes about this film. So interesting. Fuck us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go ahead and, we and wrap up the uh, narrative description here. Sure. Because we have Jacob. He goes to meet who I call young Egon, Michael. They go to a safe place. We're told that this guy, Michael, learned how to synthesize LSD. Government found out, recruited him and said, you know, if you don't develop this super synthesized LSD, super aggression drug, we're going to throw you in jail. So he does. They tested on the platoon and it turns out that it worked out too well to the point that the soldiers were so manic and crazed that they killed each other indiscriminately, just turned on each other. This drug is called the ladder, hence Jacob's ladder. Bit of a stretch. Ladder is a lame name for a drug, by the way. That was totally reverse engineered, 100%. At which point we see that Jacob returns home to find his son. And again, we get that callback to the angels or devils being visible and thinking that's a really interesting story point and wishing that they would have examined that a little bit further. And then we get the final shot, which I wanted to check with you we don't really the film doesn't deserve to be analyzed to an insane degree but in the very last shot we see jacob dead on a military gurney but that wasn't tim robbins right that looked like jeff winger from community on that Whoa, gurney. what yeah it, it was not tim robbins on the gurney and Shut i the don't fuck know up. If, really i don't I yeah because I I I had to go back and rewind and watch again because I, I wasn't certain and and yeah it totally looked why why am I blanking who plays Jeff Winger on Community what's his name Joel McHale Joel McHale I totally thought it was Joel McHale and <laughs> well Joel McHale's not in this movie he would have been pretty young but carry on yeah no but it was someone who looked like him but my point is it's definitely not Tim Robbins and so like I don't know if that was supposed to be some sort of like oh. Jacob wasn't really Jacob the entire time, right? Oh, like, dude, if that's the deal, I hate this movie even more. Now. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I feel like that was something where like Adrian Lynn totally like over engineered the ending and wanted to do something super like smart in his own ideas and totally just like screwed the entire thing up even more. But yeah, if if anybody listening knows what the hell was that about, and Ryan, by all means, please go back and, and rewind and watch that. If I'm mistaken, you know, call me on my bullshit, but like yeah, so we don't, don't you make me rewatch this movie, Jason. <laughs> don't you make me rewatch this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I do really wish we would have. I do think it was Tim original... Robbins, man. I'm gonna hold tight and say that that really? was like a. I think we just went back to to Vietnam era Tim Robbins. I don't know. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, it was totally something else. Uh, somebody, somebody, back me up here. Call the hotline. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I do really wish we would have gotten that original ending. With it the wouldn't have made any less the... sense than anything else in this fucking it movie. So whatever. It but was that's what somebody saying, else's like, dream. Somebody else would have cared enough to actually justify that decision. Whereas Lynn's like, oh, yeah, no, just throw it in there. We're trying to be mindfuck movie. Go ahead, throw it in there. Does it make sense? Who cares? Throw it in there. Man, what if, what if as we're wrapping this movie, this discussion up right now, uh, right before it ends, I wake up. And this whole episode was a dream and it was my dream. And I, and I'm just like, Oh, I got to get set up to record this podcast with Jason. And I got, and it just starts all over again. I got to get but set I'm up not to talk me. about uh, you talk about Joey's toaster. Do you mean Jacob's ladder? <laughs> What's Jacob's ladder? I'm talking about Joey's toaster. Man. What is this world? Joey's oh, toaster is a movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, also just want to point out, Ryan, uh, do you recall offhand the Simpsons episode where they make the Radioactive Man movie? I do. Do you recall the director character from that episode? I do not. We've got to do the Jiminy Jillica scene again. <laughs> That's right. Yes, yes. Is that Adrian that is, Lin? That is so Adrian Lin to the point that I'm convinced that they actually modeled that character off of Adrian oh, Lin. Wow. Because that is his exact voice. The other weird thing, and I mean, again, I don't care. Like, you know, I've got a mouth of a sailor myself. But like, Adrian Lin cannot go seven words without dropping an F-bomb. Like, yes, that guy has I did a notice that. Very, very dirty mouth. Like, I did notice he, that. Yeah, even just instructing the makeup people, like, ah, you know, just put some fucking pancake makeup on his fucking face or something. Like, but in this, like, it's austere English accent. And it's like, sure. I mean, I, I just, yeah, it's. It he, sounds he lovable like an when he says it. Guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's just so weird because it's like, I don't know, it seems a little abrasive or, I don't know. He's a weird dude. Yeah, I can see why he kind of stays in the uh, in the realm of sultry, sultry, erotic thrillers for the most part. That that seems like his wheelhouse. And it was super hilarious because I just want to get this out real quick. I, I listened to the commentary track on this one, as I do, which, by the way, oh, man, Adrian Lin. One of the five worst audio commentaries I have ever heard. The the still to date <laughs> following from 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 our boy Nolan earlier this season. That's got to be the worst one that I've listened to. But uh, this is a this is a close second where he just spends the entire movie pointing out things that are happening on screen and then going silent for five minutes before he comes back. <laughs> but the weird thing about it is I'm like, I'm listening to him talk and like there's very clearly edit points every like three to seven words. And I'm like. I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, does he um a lot? Is he one of these guys who's like, uh, uh, and it was like so distracting that they had to like go in and cut it out. And then I realized after watching behind the scenes featurettes, no, he has the mouth of a sailor and that's all going in and removing all of the profanity from the commentary. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well done. Well done, Adrian. (laughs) We salute you on that, on that level. Fucking salute you. So, yeah, so that brings us to the end of Jacob's Ladder, a film that I am happy to have seen and check off my list. Don't know that I'm going to be coming back to this one again. Before we get into our three adjectives and formal rating, we do want to encourage you to please rate, like, and subscribe on the old Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to this show. And please tell your friends, you know, uh, that's the best way to spread the word is just word of mouth. But again, if you feel like, you know, you want to do us a solid and leave us an iTunes review. I think we've got 10 and we've been doing this for three seasons, three years. So like, I don't know. I feel like maybe we should have a bit more than that, but not hanging my hat on our reviews. Countless hours of my life gone. Review my life hours. (laughs) (laughs) Just let me know in a very Jacob's ladder scenario that I did an okay job. Let me let go to proceed on. Again, if you haven't left us a review, it'd be awesome if you did, but no worries if you don't. But again, you know, do us a solid. Help us out. Ryan, let's go ahead and get into three adjectives. I will let you start. What you got? Let's do this. I got vibes because, yeah, they're like, fuck your facts. How do you feel about it? And uh, so I just went with vibes. Um, The next one is combo meal, parenthesis, no substitutions, because I feel like the, all the ingredients, like there are ingredients of things that I like here, but it's like, can I get that burger without mayo? And they're like, no substitutions. You're getting the goddamn mayo. So 
That's a bummer. I, I wish I would have had my burger without mayonnaise. I don't like that. Uh, and then the last one is dizzying because it is. It's a, you know, I feel like I'm being spun around a lot and then asked to open my eyes or take the blindfold off and then look at this and then put the blindfold on and then I spin around a bunch. And then that's like the card trick, you know, that's the whole thing. So yeah. if you like that, cool. Um, I just I, I, I felt like it was pretty close to being awesome. Um, but it was very dizzying. They wouldn't allow me substitutions and they wouldn't give me any facts. They just wanted me to go on vibes. Jason, how about you, buddy? For my three adjectives, my first is incongruent. As we talked about, just a bunch of disparate elements that didn't really belong together, but were still forced to be together over the course of this film. Sure. So that did not work for me. Plotting. I didn't really think it was an engaging film. It kind of just kept going. And halfway through, I was totally tapped out once I realized what was going on. Sure. And third is unaware. I really feel like, especially Adrian Lynn specifically, was just not aware of the impact and weight that all of these different decisions had on the final product, right? Whether it was the acting decisions from Tim Robbins, whether it was the creative decisions to change the script, whether it was the look of the film as it related to the feel of the film, all of these things, I feel like it was just these sort of indiscriminate decisions being made and not nearly looking at how that would all fit together the way that say uh, Park Chan-wook did, you know, a couple weeks ago with old boy, you know, and really looking at, okay, you know, I want this character to be something. How can we represent this mentality? Okay. You know, let's add the spider web fabrics and patterns to his room and stuff. You know, this was just like, ah, hey, let's just do this and see what happens. It felt like just throwing a bunch of, of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. So incongruent plotting unaware for me that's all gonna amount to a rating of uh, this is honestly a little bit better than i feel like maybe i thought it would but it's not great but two and three quarters stars because there wasn't like it, it's like i can't say it's a bad film like i didn't right. like it but it's not like right. it's not like it didn't make me upset the way that like tucker and dale did or wild right. strawberries or any of these films where we like really hated it like it was more just I actually, I probably should use this for one of my three adjectives. At the end of the day, it was disappointing. It was a disappointing sure. film, right? Like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You're better than that, right? Correct. You didn't, you didn't lay up and, and and completely fall on your face, but like you're capable of a of a nine point five, and you threw up a a six, and you know, so points off for you. This, what do you yeah, got? this could have been great. I uh, yeah. everything like when I strip away all the bullshit and I gave it to you in a you know one minute bullet point edition of the plot. It sounds like a dope film. And totally. I think that there are parts of this movie that I was all in for the gurney ride to hell. Dope. Um, you know, unfortunately the deleted <laughs> scene was pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> what else do I got? Um, uh, the, the dance scene at the, you know, the, the party or whatever, that was cool. Yeah, sure. Um, all the way from when he gets there and opens up the fridge and there's a skull in it. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere, you know, um, in the minutia, like when the, the nurse lady removes her little nurse hat and there's bones and or some growth going on. All that shit is cool. I like the letting go premise. The story is cool. Just the execution sucked. And so as such, I'm going to give this a C. All right. Yeah. Not too far off there. But I'm telling now, you, we're in the minority here. Uh, there, I'm sure there are listeners who are stewing in their seats, driving on their way to work right now, <laughs> being like, fuck these guys. They don't know cinema. <laughs> and they're right. Well, no, Whatever. I mean, we've, all, right. we've, we've, we've always said that, you know, like if you're, if you're coming to this show 
to understand what the internet or what the world at large thinks about a movie, you're at the wrong show. There are only two people's opinions here that we care about, and that's Jason's and Ryan's. Oh, except for the third, which is yours, dear listener. And that's why we invite you to share that with us. And you can do so a few different ways. One of those is on social media through Instagram and Twitter at Esoterica Cinema. The other, you can send us an email, EsotericaCinema at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about this movie. Tell us what you think about our show. Tell us what you think about that delicious muffin that you're enjoying. We want to hear all about it. And if so inclined, you can even do so on the hotline. I would really love it if you did that because we'd love to have some call-ins to play for you. We never have any. It sits there bare and just, you know, might as well have a tumbleweed going through it. But one of you, I'm certain one of you sometime is going to come through for me and you're going to call 818-483-6285 and leave us a message that we can put here on the air. Uh, You know, I don't know if this thing's going to be going on much longer, so you might as well call while you still can. Ryan, I think I think it's probably going to be shut down for season four. I just have not gotten a lot of a uh, response from it. But uh, if any callers want to save that and call in right now and leave us some messages and we can flood the end of the season with some voice messages, maybe we'll keep it around for season four. So you guys decide if you want the hotline or not. Look, we see our ratings. We know you're listening. Like there are people <laughs> listening to this show. It's not like I'm just talking into the void like season one, you know, like there are people out there. yeah no definitely man so but look we get it right like i used to get like uh, cards on the table man i always wanted to call into radio stations when i was younger but was just afraid to so you know if you're not used to talking i suppose it could be intimidating i get it i don't call into shit there are a lot of podcasts (laughs) with with the hotlines and i never call so i get it i didn't call it how did this get one time that's nice i made it on the air i asked what 80s uh had to do with ninjas and karate like 80s were obsessed with ninjas and karate. Like karate could just solve everything. You solve everything with karate. (laughs) Even turtles knew karate. There you go. Absolutely. Now we also have the website. That's esotericacinema.com. You can go ahead and listen to our last four episodes right there on the main page. There's also a link to a separate web player in case you prefer to play through your browser instead of any of the streaming platforms. Maybe you've got a grudge against Spotify or Apple for some reason. We, we don't begrudge you that. Totally understand. You can go ahead and listen through the web player on our website. And of course, the website is also where we keep our master list. The master list. We are going to our master list for the very last time. That's right. We didn't even mention this is the penultimate second to last episode of Esoterica Cinema. We're going out strong. Has been a wonderful season three. Have made a lot of strides. I love a, I love the films that we've looked at. I love the five-minute reviews that we're incorporating. Really proud of the sketches we've done this season. And so I can't believe we're actually, you know, getting ready to wrap it up and 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 start to head into our off season and prepare for season four, which, of course, we're going to have some new stuff for you. We always do. We don't really know what it looks like yet. We've got a few things that we're considering. But in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and for the last time, pull our master list. So oh, go ahead, but Jason, go to the website and esotericacinema.com and pull up that list. But uh well, what's up, Ryan? I was just gonna go to I was just gonna go to our, our random.org site here and, and do the random do the random but poll. Aren't we gonna go ahead and say fuck that random.org situation for our last episode? What? Because we've already Would made we do a, that? We haven't we made a judicial decision, an executive decision of sorts hmm. out of our selfish Did nature since make... no one will call oh, in and it's just yes. you and me here. Uh, you're Silly here and me. I'm here. Silly me. How could I forget? That's right. We are not 
going to the random.org true random number generator to select our last film. Ryan and I have decided We're going to the specific.org specific number generator. <laughs> Ryan and I have decided that we are going to wow you and select our last film of season three that we want. And Ryan, buddy, I will pass this alley to you. Oop that shit and tell our listeners what we're going to be watching. We're going right to number 70, baby. 1977's House. Because I want to see it. I want to see it. And I've never seen it. <laughs> and I want to see right. it. We were like, dude, okay, what what do we look at here? What, what, what are the types of movies do people seem to enjoy? It's like horror films and Criterion films are our two highest rated consistent like genre of film, if you will. And so we're like, dude, there's got to be a horror Criterion film on there. Scoured the list, found 1977's Haosu from Japan. This is such a good film, so much fun. I've seen this film a couple times, but only saw it for the first time uh, probably two years ago. Ryan has never seen this film. Never seen it. So we just really thought that it would be a great way to wrap up season three. Ryan, hit our listeners up with that description. Next week's film is summarized as in an effort to avoid spending time with her father and his creepy new lover, Young Gorgeous resolves to visit her aunt's remote mansion with six of her closest friends in tow, including the musically inclined Melody. Well, I see where they're going with that. And the geeky professor. Gorgeous arrives at the estate where supernatural events occur almost immediately. A severed head takes flight. Household appliances come to life. And a portrait of a cat seems to contain an evil spirit. I'm all in for all those things. Oh, dude, it's so fun. It's so over the top and silly and zany. This is like a horror comedy. This is like Japanese Sam Raimi, early Evil Dead type shit. It's sure. a lot of fun. Apparently the guy, I don't even know that he made another film and he was very renowned for sort of being uh, a commercial director that kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit with visuals and did a lot of surreal shit. So, oh, but yeah. I believe, yeah. I'm not yeah, overly yeah, yeah. familiar. But, yeah, so um, I'm really looking forward to getting into this one, and I think that our listeners are going to really enjoy this film as well. So, Dope. so everybody, go ahead and check out House Su. It's available online, or you can get the Criterion Collection, watch it in Blu-ray. And come on back next time for the very last episode of Season 3. We are going to put a button on this 20th film of the season before we gear up to come back even bigger, badder, and stronger for Season 4. So once again, for Ryan Siebold and myself, Jason Peters, thanks so much for listening. We will see you next time on Esoterica Cinema. Enjoy the movies!